Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May 16th, 2016-2013, and this is episode 1132 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, we have a cool one today. I have Zach and Jeff Ellsworth of BugOutTruck.net on to talk about bug out vehicles. That's a subject we haven't covered in a while, and we're going to cover it a little bit differently today, and I think it's going to be really freaking cool. Before I bring Zach and Jeff on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor the day number one today, WesternBotanicals.com. You know, early on, as I started getting questions about health and nutrition from the audience and supplements, I really wanted something that I could offer in that world from the sponsor side of things. And when it comes to like vitamins and supplements, I think go find good quality stuff and buy it. And, and I think that's a pretty simple thing. But when it comes to the herbal world, it takes a little bit more effort to find what you really need. And a lot of times you need some advice and guidance. So I wanted that. I also didn't want some kind of scam artist MLM Ponzi scheme company or some company that was claiming whatever they did cured cancer. I wanted a real company with real products uh, that would also tell you sometimes, yeah, you need a doctor for that. We don't do that. Then I found Western Botanicals with their philosophy being they wanted to create an herbalist in every house. And I found that all of the stuff that they had was either organically grown or wild crafted. And I found real people that really cared that would help you out and give you advice, including this is not what you need right now. You need more efficient help. And I found on top of that that they're running a chiropractic clinic. So they have chiropractors there that deal with health and nutrition on a daily basis. And they had a great team ready to help you. And then I found out they would even give a discount to members of my support brigade. And I said, you know what? That's a home run if I ever heard it. If you need something in the herbal world, get over to westernbotanicals.com. If they don't have it, it probably ain't legal. I'll put it to you that way as far as herbs go. Next up today, we have harvest eating. Talk about herbs. How about herbs for cooking? The illustrious, the awesome, the very cool Chef Keith Snow will teach you to cook seasonally and locally and how to make cooking a life skill, which is also a prepper skill. Chef Keith has a great podcast on cooking, great recipes, and he's, he's got to focus, though, more on the technique and why flavors go together so that you can cook with anything, even without a recipe. His seasonings are awesome as well. Check him out today, Harvest Eating. Dot com. Next up, I do want to remind you guys about the Walking to Freedom Forum. That forum is really taking off. Um, it's about to go into overdrive. We're almost ready to close down the voting on the naughty list. I don't think there's any surprises on it, but get in and let your vote be heard. WalkingToFreedom.com is where you can help others find a new home. People that are tired of the oppression of states like, oh, I don't know, New Jersey, Maryland, uh, Illinois, California. I mean, just the states that are always there. Uh, there was an article out today that I put up on the forum over at Walking to Freedom about the exodus from Maryland. And that was from the mainstream press, the Baltimore scum. Oh, I mean Baltimore Sun. Anyway, uh, you can find that article and a lot of other stuff about what's going on with people voting with their feet. The last act of defiance in a republic. 
at walkingtofreedom.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per episode. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service. I do give you an additional discount to help you, uh, to thank you for your service. I also extend that to firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, first responders, guys that are out there in the uh, real world saving lives every day. And uh, if you want that discount, just send me an email with service discount in the subject line and tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if you're prior service. And just a sentence or two. I don't need a whole, you know, I don't need a CV or anything like that, guys. Some guys send me like five paragraphs. I'm like, Marine Corps done. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, do send that before and not after you join service discount in the subject line. Email to reach me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Again, folks. Even if you're not interested in the MSB or you're not a first responder, please listen to that email address, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. It is my real email address. It doesn't go to a screener. It goes to me. It's the best way to get in touch with me. It will do far better for you to do that than send me a private message on a forum or send me a message with LinkedIn or send me an individual message on Facebook or at me, at tweet me on Twitter or whatever. The email is the best way and the most likely way to get a response from me. If you don't hear back from me, please understand it's just a time constraint issue. Um, I go through 500, 600 or more legitimate emails a day, two to 300, sometimes more that are specific things people would like to hear or see on the show. Uh, good 50, 100 questions from people, just aside questions like, hey, can you tell me about this? A thousand, two thousand spams. So I can't really answer them all, but I do try to read them all. I would like you to know that. If, in the, the more brief and concise you are in your email, the more likely I am to read it and the more likely I am to get back with you. If you find yourself on paragraph six, man, I'm telling you, the odds are low. I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest and, and telling you my personal limitations. Before I bring Zach and Jeff on, I do have some stuff I want to tell you guys about. Number one, uh, by the time this podcast goes out, hopefully the video is done rendering on YouTube where I pieced all the pieces together. But last night, we had some pretty gnarly storms in north central Texas. We did not get the tornadoes. About a ton of you guys worried about us because there were people actually killed last night in these tornadic storms. The area that was hit heavily was Granbury, Texas, which was about 25 miles to our south southwest. Um, and um, I, you know, God, I feel for those people. And I think there's six or seven unaccounted for. And I think the report we heard this morning was somewhere between 10 and 14 were admitted to the hospital. Uh, with that loss of life, the loss of property is probably even more significant. I wish the uh, disaster response team, which is now called Citizens Assisting Citizens, was ready to roll on, on this, especially being so close to where I'm at. But uh, we're just not there yet. And, and truth be told, this disaster, as bad as it is, is probably a little bit smaller than something like CAC needs to be involved with. We probably need to be at a point where first responders and, and people like the Red Cross and all are at their breaking limit. But it might be a good mustard training exercise, and there's probably some people down there that could use at least tree limbs removed and things like that. So um, we're working on that. Uh, we have filed now officially with the IRS. We had to pay $750 bucks I funded to be able to, to file with the IRS as a nonprofit and actually be in a position where we could take contributions and use them and things like that. So Board of Directors is working really hard on that along with the Advisory Council, and I think we'll be really – Into it. And we also have a developer now developing the site so we can have member profiles, training areas, all of that good stuff. So that is moving along. I did want to tell you guys, though, the video I'm going to be putting out is of the hail damage that happened. We had a pretty significant um, 
beating to our crops that are in the ground. Some of our peppers won't make it. Some of them might. I don't know what's going to happen to the tomatoes. They look like somebody went through there with a weed whacker, but they're also still all in the ground and rooted. And, you know, tomatoes are pretty, you know, resilient. Uh, corn looks like somebody took a low speed weed whacker to it. Uh, it's not completely devastated, but it's not good. Uh, so we had a little bit of loss. It, it pales in comparison to what the folks down in Granbury are dealing with, though. And thanks to all of you that, uh, that emailed me and asked, but I will have that video coming out. I'll also be putting out some other video this week. Um, part of why the show's out a little bit later than usual for a, a midweek interview show where the interview was done the day before. Uh, usually I have these shows out around 11, and this will go out probably 12, 12, 15, like 10 minutes before my next interview. Um, The reason is that today we had delivered from Tractor Supply two big uh, six-foot round stock tanks and one giant 1,500-gallon water tank. So I had to help get that stuff in, and we've got that kind of just roughly positioned where it's going to go. It's going to be part of the uh, the urban food forest uh, demo area, the 2,700-square-foot little food forest we're putting in. Uh, so it's uh, I'll, I'm not going to show you exactly how we're going to do everything or even put it in this week. I've got too much going on getting ready for the event. Uh, but I'll just kind of give you an idea of what's going on. It'll be a little five-minute video coming out soon. So there we go. We've got that all wrapped up, and I'm ready to get into our main topic now. And uh, again, today we're going to talk about bug-out vehicles, and more specifically, bug-out trucks. And with that, hey, uh, Zach and Jeff, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast, guys. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having us there. Um, could you both of you maybe just real quick, one at a time, give people a little bit about your background and how you kind of got into the whole bug out vehicle realm? I'll let Zach go first on that one. Um, well, for me, I don't know. It's just kind of been like a lifelong kind of thing. Um, you know, way back when, when I was, uh, when I was a little kid, I was, uh, I was an only child and I would spend summers at my grandparents' house. And my grandma had this book. It was just like this ultimate survival book. And I would just go out in the back nine and I would just go, you know, make lean-to shelters and try and, you know, make bow drill fires and that kind of thing. Um, and it just kind of progressed from there. I mean, I, I got serious about it uh, right after I got back from Africa in 2009. Um, and then shortly after that, you know, I, you know, I've always worked in the automotive industry. And it just kind of like, it all just kind of came into place. And And Jeff? Mine is primarily automotive, uh, something I've done for, you know, 25 years here, small business owner, and I've built cars on any conceivable level, boats, motorhomes, houses, whatever. It's just kind of my nature. I build things. Um, we got to the bug out portion, you know, when Zach and I were talking about this originally after, uh, he did his six years in the Marine Corps and he got to get a lot of experience about how things work in other aspects or, or you know, geographically other parts of our world. Uh, he came back with a lot of, Uh, information that I wasn't, you know, privileged to initially, and we kind of thought that the bug out vehicle was something that hadn't been visited before. It was a new aspect uh, of this environment that needed to be approached. So my history, I build stuff. His history, you know, is with the, you know, the military and survival. So between the two of them, we kind of created this bug out vehicle theory, and it it became viable when we started looking at what it was capable of doing and what we needed to create in order to, you know, accomplish a bug out vehicle. And we covered our five primary functions and a hell of a lot more uh, in the creation of the first one. And it's kind of gaining some popularity and it's, you know, it's not just a fluke and it's not a gimmick. Uh, it's something that is uh, actually, you know, like I said, viable in, in a real, a real product. So 
I'm going to let you guys decide which one of you wants to take this this one first, or if you both want to weigh in on it. But you know, you keep mentioning bug out vehicle. We talk about that a lot around here. It's become a pretty in vogue term lately. But with where you're coming from, what exactly makes a vehicle a bug out vehicle versus just an off road vehicle or a a big tough vehicle? What makes it a bug out vehicle? Um, so this is Zach, and I'm going to take this one first. Um, Basically, when I look at a bug-out vehicle, it's just a very, very large bug-out bag. Um, you know, you got to cover your five survival needs. You know, you got your water, your food, your energy, your shelter, and your security. And in a bug-out bag, that's awesome. But, like, the biggest, strongest guy can probably only fit, you know, 100 pounds worth of gear comfortably on their back. If you take the same theory, you put it in the vehicle, it's basically just a force multiplier. You know, you can get a lot more gear, you can survive a lot longer, and you can travel faster, and you can travel longer distances. And you can take more people with you. So it's not just about how the vehicle's equipped externally, but internally as well is what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 if you have an off-road vehicle, it's an off-road vehicle. What specifically makes a bug-out vehicle is the vehicle should provide your five uh, survival necessities, basically. So what's kind of the first step then in outfitting that vehicle? This is Jeff, Jack. What we need to do, the couple that we've done so far, uh, we kind of assess what it is that the customer is looking for and what they've got as far as their needs. Most people have families. Uh, they're not individuals that are just looking to make an escape. Uh, you know, you've got a mom, a dad, possibly some kids, and we've got to figure out, first off, how much space do they need? How long do they plan to... Uh, survive in this thing and what is it that they need environmentally for them because we live in the northwest we have different uh, natural resources than we would find say in Nevada so you know we kind of start out with uh, an outline uh, and, and some primary basics and then we you know build a vehicle to suit their needs from there very cool. So, the, like, you, from what you're saying, there, there's going to be a, a lot of variation, at least on some level, on the primary area that the person is operating in. But I would also imagine there has to be some universality as well, because I might be in the south, but I might be bugging out to the north. Absolutely. Um, you know, we just finished one. Uh, we used a, a Suburban because it's large. It's got, uh, it's got a lot of accessories. It's got an external cage. Uh, this one was over the top. Um, just because of what we were building it for. This one has a, uh, a 50 caliber machine gun on the roof. This one has a 400 GC quad on the roof. This one has uh, 30 gallons of fresh water plus water purification. Uh, this one has solar cells to charge batteries, multiple batteries, air compressors, tons of food storage, gear storage, um, and it has a lot of its own functions. You know, its basic needs as a vehicle, you know, belts and hoses and things like that to maintain it as it goes. We picked a really simple vehicle to start with on this one uh, once again down to your universal nature this was a 90 Chevy Suburban it's kind of a, a mid-generation vehicle it's still old enough to have uh, solid axles and some very basic mechanics modern enough to be fuel injected with an overdrive transmission that kind of stuff so it has a hint of efficiency uh, but really accessible I mean the to acquire parts for this thing, you can pretty much point yourself at anything General Motors within that era and have interchangeable parts for it. I think that's a huge thing, and it's it's where, as much as I love the concept of converting a bus 
we yeah. have a guy that's done a really great job with that. Or I love the idea of converting uh, or, or using a military vehicle. It's a concern with parts availability. And I guess if you get enough redundancy in your parts from the beginning, that's one thing. But it's a lot harder to find an alternator for a five-ton uh, M900 series truck than it is an alternator for a GM or a Ford product. You just finding a tire for a deuce and a half while you're driving down the road could be a you know a challenge that you can't get around. You know that's that's a lot of what we were doing was coming up with what we would consider more pedestrian-based passenger vehicles. Uh, these things aren't short on uh, their capability by any means. It's just like I said, the the ability to acquire things and virtually any circumstance is kind of what we were leaning towards. Uh, and I guess also salvage and scavenge if you, if it came down to it too as well. I mean, there's there's a billion GM products on the road. There's a billion Ford products on the road. There's you know a billion Toyotas on the road, honestly. Um, but there's there's not a lot of deuce and a half rolling around. I guess the other side of it is if you, if you have a deuce and a half with with new tires on, you can probably drive it for ten years on those tires. Absolutely, and, uh, and those are considerations as well. Um, for us, the other thing we try to point towards or people towards is familiarity with what it is that they choose. You know, if you're specifically a Chevrolet guy or a Dodge guy or a Ford guy or Toyota or whatever it is that, you know, you have, um, you know, an intimate sort of, you know, knowledge of, choose that because you're going to be able to service that vehicle should you end up with a problem. Hey, does that make a case for going back and, and using some vehicles from, let's say, times past a bit there? Because... When I was a kid, if if the truck needed plugs or wires or a tune-up or anything like that, you know, once my dad showed me how to do it once, I could do it every time over and over and over again. It was simplistic. Some of these vehicles today are so wired up with so many computers and special controls that you have to be a dadgone NASA scientist to figure out what's wrong with them when they're not working right. I agree with that completely, and that's why I kind of encourage people, if they ask my opinion, I don't care. We'll build you anything that you want. That that really is of no concern. Uh, once again, it comes back to what you feel comfortable with as a customer. But when somebody asks me, hey, what do you think I should go to? Like I said, that's the reason we kind of crossed this genre with the Suburban, because it's a very simple vehicle. Yes, it's fuel-injected, but it is the most simple form of it known. And a throttle body 350, you know, for a power plant is what this thing has. They're absolutely everywhere, and there's absolutely tens of millions of these things available to you should you need a part. You don't have to be an engineer to understand how to repair it. On the other hand, with you know basically that engine, and that there's, there's other power plants that, that run along the same lines, with a TBI 350, if it is a worst-case scenario and you can't find any specific fuel injection parts, you get a four-barrel carburetor, an intake manifold, and a distributor, you switch it out, and then you still have a running vehicle. It's not nearly as efficient as it was before, but it still runs. And for anybody who might, you know, be worried about some kind of EMP event, there's another, you know, fail-safe for the same vehicle. But that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so, I mean, this is all great for car guys. Um, I'm not the greatest car guy in the world. I worked on old vehicles as a kid. I worked on, you know, big diesel vehicles in the military, so I have a mechanical understanding. So I'm probably better equipped to, to do a lot of this stuff than a lot of people would say I'm completely a non-car person. So what, what can the non-car person do to better prepare their vehicle? Speaking in the terms of this, this community, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really basic answer, and it's, I don't know, for me, it's glaringly, glaringly obvious. 
it's you know prepare yourself first it's you know i would i would venture to say that probably about 90% of the people listening to this drive a car every day um and just like everything else we talk about you know we eat every day we drink every day um there's what you need to do is you need to prepare yourself more than you need to prepare your equipment and that's that's really what it comes down to if you drive a car every day you should probably have a basic fundamental understanding of you know what your car is how it functions that kind of thing um you know start by you know pulling apart your lawnmower or your weed eater and just get a basic mechanical understanding of how an internal combustion engine works um and then go from there um you know basically find a mentor you know some kind of car guy that has a basic understanding and go from there everybody has a car guy everybody knows a car guy you know they might not be the best but you know everybody has one Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of doing an assessment to see where you're at with your current vehicle? Like maybe another way to put this is, you know, we're talking about bug-out vehicles. And I, I think when people do that, that sometimes what they end up doing is think about the concept of, well, I have a car or a truck I drive every day, and I have this, you know, souped-up, badass bug-out vehicle that I'm going to pull out if the apocalypse happens. Shouldn't that that bug-out vehicle really be a vehicle that you use an awful lot so that you are familiar with it? Uh, and can't your everyday driver actually be your bug-out vehicle? Yeah, absolutely. That's That would be exactly the way I would go specifically. Well, that's the way I do it specifically. Um, it's just kind of like just just kind of like eat what you store, store what you eat. You know, know what you drive and drive what you know. That's That's the way I look at it. Just because it is what you're familiar with, and we already covered that a little bit earlier, but you know, that's that's the basic thing with a bug out vehicle is if you know your vehicle, you're going to be a lot more you're going to be a lot more able to deal with the vehicle should there be a problem or use the vehicle correctly if you actually need to. So you know, you put a winch on the front of a vehicle, you never used a winch before, you're just going to be scratching your head wondering how to get yourself unstuck. If you have a tool, train with it. That's really what it comes down to. I completely agree on the winch. I know a lot of people that have winches because they look cool. Yeah. And they really have no idea how they work. No. <laughs> um, I, I remember one guy that was, he got stuck and he had a winch. And you could tell just when you, you, you know, I was I helped him with it. And just when we, we fed the, the cable out off the winch, that it had never been off. I mean, it was... The, the cable was so perfectly on the winch that there's no way this thing had ever been used. And I asked him, like, how long have you had this vehicle? He's like, 11 years. And I didn't say anything. Um, but I got the, the, the feeling like that winch had always been there. And for like 11 years, it had never been used. And, and if, you know, if you've got somebody with you that knows what they're doing, that's one thing. But you don't get to pick your emergency. No. And, and I guess the other thing is, to me, all of, every vehicle you own should in some level, maybe you have some stuff that's really – kind of at a higher level, but every vehicle you own should be at least on some level a bug-out vehicle because, I, so say you're at work, there's some kind of major catastrophe, now there's riots in the streets, there's emergencies, whatever. Well, hold on, I'd like to go home and get my bug-out vehicle, please. Yeah, yeah you have to right? be able to you know, access whatever it is that you've built. And yes, you have to be able to get from point A to point B, and a lot of that comes down to, once again, the individuality. Uh, how far are you typically from your home? I mean, where is work and where do you live? How deep into suburbia are you on a daily basis? Our environment's a little bit different. There's, I, I can get 
from you know my job to my house in 15 minutes and five different routes without ever touching a major highway. Not everybody in you know this 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 aspect has that ability to do that. Um, and I've seen, I mean, we've all seen all these you know photos uh, of any type of an emergency. It doesn't necessarily have to be you know anything uh, epic. I mean, uh, sim- something as simple as a, a very large weather system where somebody's declared a state of emergency. You see these pictures of highways. Uh, stacked, you know, because one car stopped in the front, now you have a 30,000 car parking lot. Um, I would encourage anybody to make sure they know how to get around that or through it or over the top, and that really is going to dictate what your vehicle is and how you drive back and forth to work every day. Um, I've got a rather large old Dodge that I drive every day, and I will mow people down if that's what it comes to, but I know that I can get to wherever i got to get to in that truck uh, and to, you know, get to whatever your bug out vehicle is. You know, the our point of view with a bug-out vehicle is, should you need to retreat uh, for any type of a term, uh, you want to get from wherever home is to, you know, Aunt May's house in another state, you've got to have a vehicle that's capable of crossing a lot of boundaries to get there uh, and surviving along the way. And, you know, like I was saying before with this one we've just done, you know, it has fresh water, but it also has water purification. It has food, but it also has, you know, lots of basic survival uh, tools. Uh, you know, fishing poles and rifles and uh, means of creating whatever it is you need to have along the way. You can simply go out in the woods with this thing and exist for weeks if that's what it takes if you have to have a break in, you know, interim in your route. You know, if you can't get from A to B, you can at least get somewhere in between for quite a while to hold up until you can get there. Yeah, I I, I agree with that too. What do you guys think on the concept of, let's say, you know, if you, if you think about movies like The Road Warrior and all, you know, Hollywood's always going to build the vehicle to look badass. Right. But in, in many instances, shouldn't the vehicle just maybe look like a normal vehicle? Maybe if it's been set up a little bit for off-roading, that's one thing. But there's tons of vehicles all over the place that you wouldn't really think of as a bug-out vehicle that are set up for off-roading. What I'm, I'm kind of saying is that maybe in an emergency, it shouldn't really attract attention as being a resource-rich vehicle. I would say, Jack, that there's probably two ways to go. Um, I like to draw a lot of experience from history. Um, and this is, this is really not even you know ancient history. This is like the last few years. If you look at something like a government contractor in Iraq, Afghanistan, something along the lines of like Blackwater or something like that, when they roll a convoy for you know a, like a VIP or something like that, they do it one of two ways. They either go high profile or they go low profile. And low profile, they'll just put this VIP in some crappy old car, they blend in with traffic, and they get from point A to point B, and nobody knows any, any better. There's the other way, and there's high profile, and that's when they pull out their big trucks with the machine guns mounted on top, and they roll a giant convoy with heavy security the entire way. That's just going to scare everybody off. And I would imagine with a bug-out vehicle, you can do one or the other, and maybe even make a blend of both. You can either go high profile which is big and scary and nobody's going to want to mess with you, or you can go low profile and you can just, you know, slip on through just like anybody else. You could almost, you could if you wanted to, I hate to use the term, but you could also kind of build a transformer. Um, there's no reason a, a plain Jane looking vehicle can't become a really um, well armored looking vehicle almost instantly if it's set up right. I mean, I think back to the, you know, I talked about the M900 series five tons that I worked on. They don't look like they look like a big tough truck, but they don't look like something really dangerous unless it's going to run you over. But as soon as you throw a, a, a three sixty degree mount fifty cal on the roof, 
Um, it's a different vehicle. <laughs> it has a whole different persona at that point. Yeah, that's actually one of the things that we did with this Suburban is is we built this this exoskeleton on to it. Um, but the way we built it was everything's modular. It comes off in five pieces. And if once you, well, I don't know, we're really good at it now because we've had it on and off like a hundred times. But once you get familiar with it, I would imagine that you know two people can probably get this thing on and off in less than an hour. So you can go from just a plain old black Suburban to a fully outfitted exoskeleton, 50 caliber machine gun mounted on the roof, suburban, in less than an hour. So with this vehicle, yes, you could do both ways. On the military versus civilian thing, I've got your kind of your vibe on that, definitely. But would you ever, at some point, say that maybe it really makes sense to use a military vehicle? Sure. Absolutely. And I mean, from our perspective, we really enjoy building things. So hell yes, I would love to build a military vehicle. We have them in our general you know, area here all over the place. And you see these things, you know, uh, deuce and a half up to five tons are available in our world. And you look at that and it's like, yeah, you know, a three Cummins, Allison transmission, central tire inflation systems. I could build the, the, the most ridiculous motorhome based um you know, deuce and a half out of one of those things and make probably the coolest looking vehicle you've ever seen. Uh, is it, uh, is it necessary? That's a, well, that's a personal decision, I guess. Uh, it sure as hell isn't easy to take into the McDonald's parking lot and get a Big Mac. <laughs> exactly. Not that I'm suggesting people do that, but I'm just getting you know, from a practicality standpoint, I have a F-350, um, you know, king cab, full eight foot bed, and I have to think about where I park that. And, you know, I think about when I used to drive the five tons, the 917s and stuff like that to work on them. And it's, it's, you know, there's, there's certain places where a vehicle can be too big for. And that's, you know, one of the things that makes Jeep such awesome, uh, Jeep such an awesome off-road vehicle is it can get into a lot of places that even a, a real big pickup can't. You're absolutely right. And that's another one that I have personally. I happen to have a Jeep that we're building for, you know, another bug out vehicle right now. And, its ability to get virtually anywhere is uh, unmatched. It's, it's fantastic. But now we're back to the trade-off thing, and we're back to space limitations. Um, I can get myself, my wife, and my daughter into the Jeep and get the hell out, uh, you know, with its overhead racks and that kind of stuff, and I can probably get enough gear to get where we want to go. Um, you know, and you look at these things, you know, in a comparative level. You know, you take, okay, we got a deuce and a half that we've just made some sort of modern version of the old Stripes RV out of versus a Jeep Wrangler. Uh, how much are you taking with you? How long are you going to be? You're always going to have to make some type of a compromise. Um, and I think um, one of the things that, you know, depending on what you're using it for, I mean, if you're using this thing primarily as recon, you could do like we did on the Suburban and just put a nice quad on the roof on the back that repels off of that thing with a winch, and you can go and see whatever the hell you want to go and see, and then you can still get something a little bit larger like this, you know, like this vehicle we built, uh, wherever you need it to go. Uh, we, sure. we start looking at something like your deuce and a half that we were talking about. Once again, cool as hell. Love to build it just because it sounds like a, just a crap load of fun. But, um, you know, when you're cruising down some of these smaller access, logging roads, some of these tight trails that we're going to be on, there's no way in hell you can ever get it down there. Uh, I mean, Correct. you're just not going to crush trees to get things out of your way. Uh, then if you want to keep a low profile, you're sure as hell not going to do it in something of that magnitude. <laughs> you ain't kidding. Uh, now, the one military vehicle that I actually think excels for this has just 
buttloads of civilian parts available for it, and that's the CU-CVs, the 1008s and 1009s, the pickups and the, the blazers, basically. Those, and depending on how you paint it when you're done, they can look like a military vehicle, they can look like a, an everyday vehicle, because those exact trucks were sold into the civilian market, just done a little bit differently as far as the you know, the, the voltage system and things like that. But basically, they're just a diesel GM, Dodge made some of them too, uh, truck from the 80s. Um, you're absolutely right. I know exactly what you're talking about because we've all seen a ton of them. Um, what you're looking at, in my mind with that, is you've got that ridiculous, crappy old 6.2 Chevy diesel that was also the first generation for the Humvee and that. And it's just a woefully undependable motor, and God knows it's underpowered. I mean, it can't get out of its own way. So I, that becomes a consideration for me when we're doing this sort of stuff. Um, I want reliability, uh, especially if we're building something for a customer. You know, These guys may not know exactly what we know about building a car or how to service or maintain a car. And we've all had that phone call from our wife, uh, you know, um, hey, the, you know, somebody's just quit. <laughs> what do you do then? Uh, it's hard to walk somebody through something, especially in their, you know, uh, if they're in an environment where things are in a panic situation. Uh, I know the vehicles you're talking about, and that's one of the reasons we kind of chose the one that we did, albeit a slightly different drivetrain, but it's a very similar automobile. It is a very similar vehicle. What year was that? I'm looking at that Blazer right now on your website. What year was that vehicle? It's a Suburban, actually, and it's a 90. Uh, a 90, okay. And like I was telling you earlier, it's, it's just a crossover because that, that's the same body style from like 73 to 91 on the, Correct. On the Blazer and Suburban. So you've got all of your basic old parts, leaf springs, solid axles, just really simple products that are super simple and, and very easy to assess should you need it. Um, but it was kind of the introduction of the fuel injection era with that thing. So we had the basic throttle body 5.7, which is a very dependable, very strong um, you know, power plant along with a simple overdrive automatic transmission. This isn't a Prius, but it will get, <laughs> you know, I mean, even loaded down the way we were having this thing, we didn't really have any problem getting 12, 14 miles to the gallon with this thing, which in my realm with a 40-gallon fuel tank, I don't think is unreasonable. I don't either. No, I have no problems with that. I mean, if you want hyper mileage, get a Jetta like I have for for running around in. But it's no, that's not. I would. I, I try to keep my Jetta outfitted for emergencies, but it's not a bug out vehicle, and it never would be. It just it just isn't. Yeah, and if the exits are blocked, try and get out of the McDonald's parking lot with that thing. Get halfway over a curb and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no offense, but we like to mock people with Jettas and Priuses. I I, do, I can't help it. It's my nature. <laughs> Yeah, but I've also got a car that, that's as small as it is that you can drive at 120 on the on the, the tollway when you can get away with it with one finger on the wheel and it's steady. Yeah, uh, and that's something that the Toyota is not going to do. Yeah. So right. you can only mock the VW so much, guys. <laughs> All right. It was built for the Autobahn. You're, you're right. Okay. Well, we'll let that one rest. Yeah, that's that's cool. Anyway, no, I, I'm completely on board with you guys. Honestly, I just have to throw that out there. Um, what are some of the things that you think every BOV kit should include? I would say first and foremost, they're just going to be the vehicle-specific redundancy items: uh, fuses, bulbs, belt hoses, fluids, filters. You know, a basic set of hand tools, um, jumper cables, maybe a jump box. Uh, if you have room for it. Probably something like a Hilux. Actually, I think everybody, even if you don't have room for it, find a place for it. Put a Hilux jack in there. Those things are awesome, and you can use them for damn near everything. Um, make sure you have a small hydraulic jack. Um, you know, basically the, uh, the the factory jack that would come to change your tires because 
that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand until they actually get to that point. You have a high lift jack, and <laughs> you have a flat tire. You pull out your high lift, and then you scratch your head, and you wonder, where the hell am I going to hook this thing up without crushing a quarter panel? And, and that's and that, that's really a, a, a big issue. If you have a small hydraulic jack, it'll actually fit underneath the car, and you can actually jack it up and change the tire if need be. Let me say something on that, too. I think it makes sense to get a, a decent hydraulic floor jack, like one of the small ones, and to get one of the small bottle jacks. Here's why. Yesterday, my brand-new tractor got a flat tire. I took my floor jack out to just lift it up so I could fix the tire and get it back on the bead and, and what have you. And guess what happened to my floor jack? It exploded. It broke. Yeah. It fucking broke, right? You know, I, I, as soon as it, 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 it's, you're lifting a tractor, it's, it's a, you know, one-tenth of one percent the weight of a truck. And it was just the jack was done. It had been around long enough. Two is one, one is none. And a jack is something you do not want to be without when you don't have it. So I don't know about the two of you guys, but as, as much as, as I pride myself on being kind of a tough guy, I have not ever been able to lift the front end of a pickup up in my life nope. without a jack. <laughs> <laughs> now, all the improvisation in the world really does not spare you the grief of trying to, to solve that problem when it, when, it, when it happens. We've all been out in the woods and ended up with a similar circumstance, you know. Uh, and that's why, you know, the high lift is such an, uh, I don't know, it's an amazing improv tool. You can pretty much do anything with it. You can lift with it. You can winch with it. You can, you, you can pull. I mean, we've all used them to rip out fence posts. You know, you think about the simplest tool in the world that solves that problem. You can figure it out should you absolutely have to. But, yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, a redundancy in the jack world, you can't beat it. You have to have something to, to solve your problem. And, and keep going with your other stuff. Uh, you know, it goes, oh, I derailed you there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, basically what you got to have is, is, you know, whatever the vehicle that is that you're working on, you want to make sure that you've got enough emergency service items to get you through Think about it as you're going into the woods and going on a long camping trip. What would you take to go get that done? That's what you want in your vehicle for the vehicle needs because nobody wants to be stuck on the trail for any purpose, whether it be for fun or, you know, an emergency escape. You still have to be able to make sure it gets you through where you've got to go. Um, and then we get into the, the actual bug out, uh, you know, personal items. And that's where we were talking about, you know, this thing is, is going to have – your basic necessities on board. You know, like Zach had mentioned, the, the purpose of, I mean, survival is waking up the next day, but being prepared uh, is the ability to maintain some type of a lifestyle. I mean, uh, granted, it would be slim, but, I mean, some basic, you know, toiletries. I mean, you're going to want food to eat. I mean, we can boil slugs if you really want to, but, I mean, let's face it, something like a mountain house pre-prepared meal that you put water in, it's going to be a hell of a lot better. Uh, yeah, I, go ahead. No, it's just, you know, as we prepared, you know, this particular vehicle, that's what we wanted. You know, we, you know, I think we mentioned it before, but we want fresh water. Uh, if you're in a terribly arid environment, you know, like, you know, say you're in the hills of, you know, Nevada or something like that, you're not going to find a hell of a lot of resource for fresh water. So, you know, having 30 to 50 gallons of water on board is going to be an, an, an absolute necessity. Uh, it also has water purification. So if you're in our part of the world, water is very accessible. If you just simply make it, you know, clean enough to drink, then you have that available to you. Uh, basic food stuff. And once again, the ability to find food. Uh, can you set up shelter? Do you have tents as a part of your vehicle? Um, there's, there's so many things, you know, in your bug out world, your medical supplies. And then if you're going to be crazy and you want to carry toilet paper and seasonings and things like that, well, then that's, that's good because once again, that helps you maintain some type of a lifestyle. Uh, until you at least get to where you're going. Definitely. What are your thoughts on comms? 
I would say uh, you know, you're going to want redundancy in your comms. Um, first and foremost, a CB. They're really cheap. They're really easy. Um, everybody has one. And for just the basic basics, I mean, like, it's super easy to, like, just turn, you know, if you're on a road trip, you know, you're, you know, a couple of states away and, you know, you got a weather system coming in. There's truckers all over the place. And as long as you turn it to channel 19, you're going to know what's ahead of you on the highway just because there's 9,000 other people in front of you with CB and they're going to relay the information for you. Um, secondary, I would say some kind of FRS, GMRS handhelds. Um, they work great for quite a long ways, and especially if you're running some kind of convoy. You know, if you have, you know, your family and you're bugging out with, you know, two or three other vehicles, I don't know how many times in the Marine Corps I've ran into a situation where it's like, we'll have, like, the lead vehicle and then, like, the tail vehicle with the radio, and then it's, like, the people in between, They, you know, we just didn't have enough radio, so, you know, hey, just follow the guy in front of you, and we're cruising through somewhere, and, you know, somebody makes a turn, gets stopped at the stoplight, whatever, and then, you know, half your convoy's going the wrong direction. If you have more than one vehicle, every vehicle should have some form of comms. Um, and then, you know, if you want to go past that, uh, I would say a ham would probably be a good idea, but there's a lot of things that go into, you know, you have to have the license, and you actually have to know how to use it, and I'm not particularly familiar with ham radios, so I would steer clear of it, but anybody that is a hammer, absolutely throw it in your vehicle because you're going to have a lot of They're going to have it anyway, yeah. right? No, they're, 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 if you're a ham, you're going to do that. That's why I, I, you know, people sometimes say, well, I'm surprised you didn't say that. Well, if you either are or you aren't. That's like me saying, you know, if you're seven foot six, you should play basketball. Well, duh, yeah. right? I mean, if you, I because mean, you don't just go out buy ham gear off the shelf and start using it. It just doesn't work that way. But the CB and the the FRS, GMRS, or, or mirrors, all of that stuff is off the shelf, ready to go. Turn to a channel. Now, your 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 comments about having that comms within the vehicles is really important. As a military guy, you know how dangerous that can be. Um, in fact, everybody remembers the I can't was her Jessica something, the girl that got captured, and I think they overdid the drama of the rescue. Um, yeah. But her group, that's exactly how they ended up in in a bad way, and, and all but her were killed was getting separated from a convoy. Yep. Yeah, if you're running with more than one vehicle, you all need to be able to communicate with each other. Um, you know, basic cell phones, uh, which we, I'm sure you know about Zello. Um, that's a great, yep. that's a great way to start. If you don't have anything, just it's free. Download the app. Now you have basic, you know, two way radio communication between your cell phones, but you can't rely on it always because you're not always going to have cell service. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't rely on cell, but I think it's it's a form of communication. You should use it while it's there. In fact, it's also, this is kind of how I feel about cell. Use it while it's there because you're not using your other mode of communication, and that means that you're now in a situation where whatever powers that other mode of communication is not being drawn on. And there's times where that cell won't work, and only that secondary means will work. So you, you know, I, I'm not saying don't use it at all because we should all train with our gear. But when it comes down to an actual, like a, a standard operating procedure, it should be this is first, this is second, this is third, and and you put that priority based on what will work always should be the last priority because that way you're saving it. Just like that's why I carry a cheap knife and a good knife. I don't care if I bowl or scratch up my cheap knife. You know, Jack. Uh 
that's a, it's a, it's a great topic. If you look at those three forms of communication, in my mind, you've got, you know, with your FRS, GMRS type of thing, that's a very short-range communication, but it keeps you in the ability to keep things private between you and your group. The rest of the world doesn't need to hear it. Um, I mean, it helps you out a little bit because if you're in an environment where you don't want people to know exactly what's going on, provided you're out of range of everybody, uh, it gives you a certain amount of privacy. Then you get into the CV thing. Uh, CV covers uh, a much longer range, and you have a lot more communication capacity. And then you go into, you know, cell service, and, and cell service is, you know, uh, you know, global. Uh, you, you have a whole lot of you know capability with those three forms of communication to cover what you need uh, given your environment. I think a thing on CB that people overlook is you know, as soon as somebody gets a CB, the first thing they want to do is take it somewhere and have it hot rotted so it'll put out you know a hundred watts or a thousand watts so it'll have more range. But they come you know four watt max, uh, which has pretty good range. But a lot of CBs have a adjustment for the wattage. And you can turn them down to one watt, and they have very limited range. Okay. And and a, and a lot of people would say, well, why would you want to do that? Well, <laughs> uh, then only people within the range can actually hear that. So if we throw down to one watt and uh, and, and we go to a you know an offside band channel, uh, we can really eliminate how many people potentially are out there listening. So there's a lot of little tweaks you can do, even with without going the ham route, if you just know how the equipment works. Yeah, once again, familiarity with your equipment is, you know, it's, it's paramount. You have to know what you're, what you're working with. You can even disconnect the big antenna and put a little crappy antenna on. There's all kinds of cool things that can be done like that. Anyway, um, you, I, I just it's just neat what you can do with stuff when you do play around with it. And I think that's a big part of what drives you guys. Like, what can you make a vehicle do next, right? Uh, this one we just got done testing was pretty amazing. Uh, and it was... Uh, I'll go ahead and mention it. Um, what we just did with this Suburban is we built this thing for a uh, pilot episode for a television show we're doing. Um, it's pretty much based around the entire bug out truck philosophy and you know what we what we do for folks. Uh, it was an amazing adventure. I've never done a television show before. It was night and day for months getting this thing prepped. And like I said, this one's a little over the top. Not everybody in the world wants a 50 caliber machine gun on a you know a 360 degree pivot on the roof. Uh, we had to put an access hatch out of the roof, which came out really slick. That's why we put the quad on the roof with its own winch to repel it up and down. Uh, winching capacity, we built four winch attachment points uh, with a cradle setup, so we can winch front, back, and from both sides of the vehicle to pretty much cover any any circumstance you come across. Uh, it's just a cradle on a like a receiver hitch type of setup. You just plug it in wherever you need it most on the vehicle, power it, and away you go. Um, and this thing... We killed ourselves trying to make this thing a reality in time to get this thing filmed and done. And as we were finishing the vehicle, we had television crews coming in, and it was uh, we were all kind of scratching our heads, man. We had just created this this monstrosity, and we didn't have a chance to test anything. Uh, we got to put this thing to test in the real world under lights and camera out there, and then hope like hell we didn't break it. Uh, we got rid, you know. Uh, we'll give it a little bit of a testament. Yeah, we built something really cool, and apparently we built it right because everything that we did worked absolutely flawlessly. Um, trying to fire a 50 caliber fully automatic machine gun off the roof of a civilian vehicle creates an <laughs> issue. Um, you know, yeah. if there's any movement at all, I mean, with that mount, if there's anything, your gun will jam. And when you got the world watching you, you don't really want a jammed gun because then you look like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> well, that is dangerous. But, <laughs> <you know. laughs> 
we're going to go on the theory that we want her to look good to the world. So, uh, but like I said, it all worked. Absolutely every ridiculous thing that we could dream up, every creation on this thing worked fantastic. Um, now, we're not allowed to say, you know, who and exactly what. All we can tell you is uh, it's coming to a network that uh, you all know and love, and uh, you'll probably see it aired for the first episode this fall. Very cool, guys. And uh, you guys also have a website where people can uh, learn more about what you do and uh, one where people can buy gear from you, right? Absolutely. Yep. Um, the blog is at bugouttruck.net, um, and that's basically just my personal blog. I just, I don't know, I, I don't keep it as updated as I should, but I try and post cool little things when, when they come up. And then the actual website, if you want to buy some gear, is going to be bugouttruck.com. Well, cool, guys. Thanks for being with us today on the Survival Podcast. I appreciate you having us, Jack. We've been, uh, you know, this was one of those things that Glenn had mentioned to us, and uh, he uh, he strongly encouraged us making the effort to be uh, a member or a guest of the show, and I'm really glad you found time to get us on here. Well, absolutely. You guys have a great uh, a great future ahead of you, I think. Uh, this is probably going to be one of the... Uh, one of the reality shows in the uh, the prepper world that I'll actually enjoy watching. Uh, it's almost like uh, the the sons of guns for vehicles, you know. Something like that. You know, and it's kind of interesting because we're doing this stuff, we're playing this game, and we're running our asses off trying to create this show. And you know, our average day was 16 hours filming. The longest one was 21 for 10 consecutive days. You get so confused, you don't know what's going on. You film this thing, and then three days before that, you film the one that came after it, and it's just a mind-boggling event. And we just went on, and after, like, the third or fourth day into it, I just kept saying, yeah, okay, we'll do it your way, we'll do it your way. That's fine. Tell me what, you know, i got to say at this point. Uh, and it was interesting, because I, I had no idea how this was all going to play out, because it seemed like such a confusing mess. Uh, we got all done, we wrapped up. Two days later, I was sitting at home, and I watched the season opener for uh, Sons of Guns, and I sat down, and it all magically makes sense. Exactly how you look at things, why we had to do the same thing four times from every different conceivable camera angle. Uh, got a whole world of insight into reality television and exactly what it is. And, uh, I, you know, it was so exciting and so fun to be a part of it. And uh, hopefully the show is, you know, half as cool as some of the other ones that are out there. But our goal was to bring a certain amount of honest-to-God reality to the reality television world and show people what can be done. My well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, man. My biggest thing with it, and that's, it was it was my biggest worry, is I didn't want it to turn into a, just another one of the we, let's make some preppers look ridiculous shows. Exactly. And it's not. It's like I I you know there's there was a couple of interviews I did, and it's you know it's exactly what they want to do. They just want to make it you know they want to make prepping exactly what it is, and it's just people that, you know, actually like pay attention to things and are looking forward for their own for their own future and their own livelihood. Well very cool. Well guys stay in touch and when you when you can give more details about screening date, network and thing like that, get get in touch with me and I'll make sure I let uh, the audience uh, know about it so that they can tune in. Fantastic. Count on it man. Yeah, we want as much uh, response from this thing as we can bring. Obviously if we get a big showing out of this you know, out of the gate with this thing that's gonna go somewhere. We're going to take it to episodic television at that point, and then we can start to really point on towards the business world of uh, you know prepper mentality. Very cool, guys. Well, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today, along with Zach and Jeff Aylesworth, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
Yeah.